What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Preach Christ podcast. I'm your host, Norris Johnson II, and I'm so glad to be be with you here today. Uh, I think um, it's been about four months since the last time I've done a podcast, but the good news is we're coming back and we're coming back better than ever, and it's going to be nonstop. And also, you're not just hearing me over your earphones or whatever. You can see me on video. We are moving in the direction of YouTube. Y'all, I missed y'all so much. And uh, shout out to all the people that's been rocking with me and holding it down uh, while I've been gone, while I've been away, while I've been getting some things in order, getting some things together. I'm so excited, man, because this is a unique and a powerful time. And I don't think you're going to you want to miss what is going on now, what God is doing now. So uh, without further ado. Let me get into today's topic. Today's topic is called Eyes Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut. Here's something we know. All of us in our lives right now, I believe, are in transition. We are all in transition. Our jobs are in transition. Our homes are in transition. Our country is in transition. All of us are in transition right now. And I believe that because all of us are in transition, we literally cannot afford to not hear God right now, to not know what he's saying, to not know what he wants us to do, to not know where he wants us to go. We literally can't afford to go through life and not understand what God is saying and what God longs and desires for us to do. I always tell people this. There's not three ways to life. There's not three. There's not three ways to life. There's not, there's not your way, God's way, and the devil's way. There's only God's way and the devil's way. There's only God's way and a way that is against him. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man. It says this in Proverbs. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. There's only God's way in death. And I think what gets us mixed up is that we don't see the death part right away. And the death doesn't look like what we think it's supposed to look like. Even if you go back to the garden, you go back to Adam and Eve. They're sitting in the garden and God gives Adam and Eve a directive. The first thing he tells them to do or not to do is to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Told Adam, don't eat from that. Don't touch it. He says, in the day you touch it, you're going to surely die. In the day you touch it, you're going to surely die. Well, we know the story. We know that Eve is walking around talking to a snake, apparently, and ends up eating the apple or eating the fruit. Wasn't an apple. We don't know what it was. Ends up eating the fruit. When she eats the fruit, the Bible says nothing happens to her. She gives it to Adam to eat. Adam eats it. The Bible says when they eat, their eyes become open. When they eat, their eyes become open. Well, that day, you know, sun up to sundown, that day, they didn't die. They didn't die. That day, they didn't die. However, God comes down and he says to Adam, Adam, where are you? Almost insinuating that Adam is lost or that he can't find him. And we know that God... Is not a God that's 
confined to spaces and small rooms and different things. We know that God is everywhere at all times. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. He's in every time at the same time, which means that he's standing next to the you you are now, and he's still standing next to the baby you that just came out of your mama's womb. God is everywhere at the same time. So he's not asking Adam, where are you? Because he can't find him, and he's playing hide-and-go-seek and blues clues with him. I believe that he's asking him, where are you? Because Adam doesn't know what just transpired in his inner man. The Bible says our spirit, which came from God, was dead in trespasses and sins, which means that at that moment when Adam ate, his spirit died. His flesh, his what he could see naturally, what he could experience naturally, his uh, natural perceptions, they did not die. He did not die. He did not stop breathing, but his spirit died. And his spirit is what was connecting him to God. So he was disconnected from God. All of mankind was disconnected from God. So what is death then? What did God define as death by even making that thing possible? Well, it seems as if he calls death separation from him. Anything that is separate from him is dead. Which means you, when you were separate from God, when you were in your own way, when you were in your own sins, and when you were in your own trespasses, you were separate from God. My computer is going off. You were separate from God. So now what happens to us is that we get in life. Some of us get saved. Some of us give our lives to God and we pick our own way. <laughs> we pick the way that we're going to go. We pick what we're going to do. We, we pick the things that we're going to do and be. We pick it. We choose it. We make sure that we are doing what we want to do. It, it's, it's not even a second thought for a lot of us. It's not even a second a second thought to just go and do what you want to do. Some of us are so inundated in our own way that we just go about our own lives and just do our own thing. And in this season, God doesn't want you to walk around with your eyes wide shut, feeling and thinking like you can see when in actuality, you can't see anything. And there's a story in the Bible that I think about when I think about the topic of eyes wide shut. And it's a story about a man by the name of Saul who would later become Paul. You see, in the book of Acts chapter nine, we are confronted with the character. We see him first, um, I believe, around Acts chapter eight or Acts chapter seven. But we're confronted with the character by the name of Saul. This character, this guy, he is uh, somebody that is zealous for the things of God, so he believes, for the, for, the, for the Jewish tradition, for the Judeo tradition. He is somebody that is a Pharisee beyond Pharisees. He is somebody that is completely zealous for the things of God. And while Christianity was on an upswing in Rome and in all of the Middle East, this man, Saul, did everything he could to bind, to kill, to capture, and to stop the movement that was of Jesus Christ. This man, Saul, would later become Paul, who would write, I think it's about two-thirds of the New Testament. He would become essentially 
the greatest apostle of all time. But it wasn't until he had a run in with Jesus and Jesus revealed to him how blind he had been his whole life. Acts chapter nine, verse one. I'm looking at the New Living Translation. But it reads like this. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. Now, the way is followers of Christ. Christ means the way or the anointed one. But it, it is the way. They called it the way. So he wanted he wanted he wanted the synagogue's participation and their cooperation in the arrests of any followers he found of the way. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, bound back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. This light closed him in. And the Bible says he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Then men with Saul stood speechless because they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. And Saul picked himself up off the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He regained. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now, before I even go into the rest of the story, I think it's significant to even point out how this encounter happened, how this encounter happened. You have a man that truly believes with all of his heart that he is completely following the things of God. He believes it to the point where he is blocked out to any other type of truth. He's blocked out to even considering any other type of possibility. I want to ask you something. Have you got to that place in your life where you are so convinced in your way and what you think is right that you've blocked yourself out to ever hearing any other type of possibility, any other type of way? Have you got into this job or this career and just settled yourself and said, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to be. And you didn't even ask God. You didn't even consider him. You didn't even think of him as a thought. You just assumed that whatever you picked, you can put him on top of it. Have you ever been so sincere, but so sincerely wrong? Have you ever been so gung-ho about whatever you were going to do and you found out you came a long way. And unfortunately, you went the wrong way. That's what Brother J. Cole said. <laughs> I, think, I think that's the case with this guy named Saul or Paul, as he would later be named. I think that's the case with him because we see that he's not even 
concerned about anything else. All his focus is, is capturing these Christians and making them become prisoners because of what they believe. He's capturing the very people that he would later lead. He's capturing the very people that he would later die for. He's capturing the very people that he's actually called to. You see, this is what the devil does. The devil knows your purpose. He knows it before you know it. As a matter of fact, the devil believes more in you than you do. I know that's, I know that's a shock, but that's just what he does. He believes more in you than you do. The devil knows your purpose. He knows what you're called to do. So what he will do is he will twist and pervert your purpose. And so you'll find out in your life as you come to God that you are actually moving in purpose in some sense, but it was in a perverted way. You have somebody that's selling drugs and doing different things of that nature. And like, I'm talking about moving weight and got a whole scheme. I'm talking about a snowfall type of scheme going on. When really that guy has a gift in business. God has given him a gift in business. You have somebody that's a recruiter for clubs and, and uh, different things of that nature and knows how to and knows how to woo anybody with their words, knows how to deceive anybody with their words. And they got and they got whole whole rings going on. And really, God has gifted that person as an evangelist. He's gifted you with the ability to speak and to talk people into anything, talk them out of anything. He's given you that gift and that ability. But the devil comes and he perverts. He twists what God has given you, and he makes you go into a perverted sense of purpose where you'll be chasing this thing all your life but never coming into fulfillment and never coming into proper understanding of what God actually called you to do. Paul was completely zealous. When he latched a hold of something, he would never let it go. When he grabbed a hold to a truth, when he, when he grabbed a hold of something that he believed in, he fought for that until his dying breath. The problem was he was just fighting for the wrong thing. How many of us are fighting for the wrong thing? How many of us are in this thing with our eyes wide shut? Saul has his eyes wide shut and he doesn't know it he doesn't know it until god knocks him off his horse the bible says a light shined around about him while he was going to his going to damascus to go arrest these people the bible says a light shined round about him and the light even though the light is not a material thing that you can grab and touch it knocks him off his horse the light was so strong, it pushed him off his horse. <laughs> it pushed him off his horse. Now, light, in another sense, in scripture, is used for truth. It's used for truth. And being knocked off your horse can also be looked at as being humbled. And what this is showing us is that the truth of Christ, the truth that Christ revealed to him, humbled him. And it knocked him off his horse. You see, a lot of times we really don't want to know what God has to say about our life and our situation. Because what it's going to do is it's going to knock you off your horse. It's going to humble you. Because Jesus, when we get close to him, he has a way of revealing the nastiest parts of us. 
He has a way of showing us the most jacked up parts of us. He has a way of showing us that we actually aren't as good as we think we are. God has a way of showing us that we are not in ourselves complete. We are not in ourselves sufficient. His truth is so strong that it will knock you off your horse. Wouldn't it knock you off your horse to find out that all the problems in your relationships weren't the other people? But it was you. Wouldn't it knock you off your horse to find out that even though that person really did that to you and those things really happened to you, that God is actually more concerned about your bitterness towards it than what they actually did to you? Wouldn't it knock you off your horse to find out that you actually got to turn the other cheek? Wouldn't it knock you off your horse to find out that you actually got to forgive the one that touched you? The one that stole your innocence? God's truth is humbling. Wouldn't it knock you off your horse to find out that you went to school for all those years for a degree that God did not call you to go get? Now, he uses everything. But wouldn't it knock you off your horse to find out that you went a long way, but you went the wrong way? Paul is knocked off his horse. And Jesus says something to him unique. He screams at him and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Saul or Paul never met Jesus. He never met him. He never knew him. He never saw him. He never touched him. He never laid eyes on him. He was never around when Jesus did the teachings. He wasn't there when Jesus healed Lazarus. He wasn't there when they were in the court screaming, crucify him and give us Barabbas. He wasn't there. Why did Jesus say you're, you're persecuting me? It's because when you tamper with anyone that is connected to Christ, you're tampering with him. If you attack anyone that's connected with Christ, you're attacking him. Newsflash. Christ is connected to even the people you hate. Ooh. Ooh. Christ is connected to even the people you dislike. Christ is connected to the people that you really can't stand. And he says, Saul, you're persecuting me. Why are you persecuting me? Now, guys, I found out something unique that was just crazy and mind blowing to me. Because when you read the New Testament, you got to understand it in the Koine Greek. Um, that's what it was written in. So that's the original text that you got to understand it in. And so when I looked up the Greek meaning for uh, persecute in the King James Version, when it says, when it says, why are you persecuting me? That word persecute meant to run from and to run to. It meant to flee from. And to flee to. To flee from and to flee to. To pursue and to run. And I think what he was telling Paul was, you think that you're pursuing me. You think that you're pleasing me. When really, you're running from me. You're running from me. There's a lot of us that think that we're doing what God wants us to do. When really we are running from what he's really telling us to do. We know that Paul is fighting something in himself. 
Because Jesus then says, isn't it hard for you to kick against the pricks? Kick against the pricks. Pricks are like thorns. And he says, and he says, every time that you go and you capture a Christian, every time that you go and you and you and you look for the cooperation of synagogues, and every time that you go and you do what you're doing, you're fighting against a nagging on the inside of you that is not settled. No, Paul, I'm pulling on the thing in you that is bothered at night. I'm pulling on the thing in you that is troubled because you know. Something about all of this just isn't right. I know I chose this career, but something in my spirit just isn't right. I know I chose this relationship, but something in my spirit. I know I chose this church, but something in my spirit just isn't right. Isn't it hard for you, Paul, to kick against the pricks? You're running from me, but you think you're pursuing me. Paul says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus tells him, I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. And at this moment, there's a heart change in Paul. At this moment, he sees clearly that he's been wrong. He sees clearly that God has been calling him to something else. He sees clearly that he's been going in the wrong direction and that all the zeal and all the passion he's had has been for no reason. He sees it. And so now Jesus can give him instructions because now his heart is open. You see, Jesus can't give you instructions and tell you what to do if your heart is not open and solely on him. Because if he tells you what to do, you're going to do it in the wrong motive and with the wrong heart. And it won't produce the results that you expect and imagine in your head. Jesus has to wait until your heart is malleable enough. Sometimes until you're crushed enough. Sometimes until you're broken enough to hear what he wants you to do next. I think now he can hear clearly. Now he can see clearly. The Bible says that Jesus tells him, get up and go into the city. And I will tell you what to do. Y'all, I think this is powerful because when Jesus tells Paul, get up now and go into the city that you are already planning on going into. It's highlighting something to us. It's highlighting to us that where Paul was going wasn't wrong. Where Paul was going was not wrong. He was on his way to Damascus to go capture Christians. After Jesus knocks him off his horse and reveals himself to him. He says, get up and go into Damascus where Paul was going was not wrong. His motive in his heart while he was going there was wrong. Sometimes where you're going isn't wrong. You know, God has called you to impact thousands and impact millions. If that's you, you know, God has called you to write books and to do different things where you're going isn't wrong sometimes. It's your heart's posture on your way there. He was going there with the wrong intentions. God had to fix his intentions and send him right to the place he was already going. Some of you think just because you got the place down, you got the heart part down. <laughs> if your heart is not right, 
then you will make the right place the wrong thing. And that might have sounded cliche-ish and confusing to you, but hear me on that. If your heart is not right, you will miss what God is saying. And you will miss God's intention for you to even, uh, his intention for you even being there. It's God's intention. If you desire to be married, it's God's intention for you to be married. That's God's intention. But if your heart is not right on that journey, you're going to get there and screw all that up. And so he tells him, he tells him, go into the, go into the city. Yes, I actually do want you to go into the city, Paul. But you're going into the city with a whole different heart and a whole different motive. It won't look like what it did before. And Saul goes into the city. And the Bible says when he stands up, though, he's blind. He can't see. And I think that God was giving him a natural look and understanding at his spiritual condition. It wasn't that he had just gotten blind. It was that Paul was already blind. And Jesus revealed his true nature to him. You know, when a lot of us got saved, you know what happened? We started to see how jacked up we was. Like you didn't know that you had all these things you had to deal with. I got daddy issues too. I got to deal with, I got to deal with my mama too. I got to deal with, oh, I didn't know all of this was going on. Yeah. Yeah. All of this is happening. All of this is real. All of this is an issue. And it's not that you didn't have it before you got saved. It's that now that you've been saved, the light of Christ reveals to you what was already wrong. Paul, you didn't just get blinded now. His truth showed you that you were already blind. And the men around him, they were shocked because they heard a voice, but they didn't see anybody. And I think and I think Acts 9 might be a little might have might have might have interpreted that a little wrong. I think the truth is that based on Acts 22, when Paul is telling his story, he says the men around him saw a light, but they didn't hear a voice. <laughs> the men around him saw a light, but they didn't hear a voice. And I think that speaks more to what God is saying right now, because when God reveals his truth to you, when he reveals what he wants you to do next, when your eyes become wide open instead of wide shut. People can see the after effect of what God is doing, but they don't always hear the instructions that God told you privately. They don't always hear what God said to you. And so you might come off as crazy. You might come off as off. You might come off as all these different types of things to these people because they saw a light, but they didn't hear the voice. And they were scared because they saw a light, but they didn't hear the voice. And the Bible says that they led him into the city. And when they led him into the city, uh, he went into the house of a man named Judas. And when he went into the house of a man named Judas, God spoke to another man far off named Ananias whose name means God hears or no his name means God favors his name means God favors God speaks to Ananias in a dream or uh, excuse me just speaks to him when he speaks to him the Bible says that God says I need you to go into the city go to a street called straight 
and, and inquire in the house of Judas of a man by the name of Paul because he's sitting there praying and he's had a vision of you coming to his house, laying hands on him so that he can receive his sight. Ananias argues with God because Saul's reputation precedes him. Uh, it's clear that he's there to go capture and kill Christians. And Ananias is like, hey, hold on now. You talking about the same dude that's that's here to get me and us? God is like, go your way. Do what you're supposed to do. But I think it's crazy how God tells him, first of all, this blind man is in a house and this blind man has had a vision <laughs> that you're going to come and lay hands on him. Paul is blind, but it does not mean he does not have vision now. So Paul, he's blind, but he's had a vision. He's blind, but he saw that vision, that vision. Where did that vision come from? It, it, was, it wasn't something he naturally saw. He didn't daydream and see it. He saw it in himself. He saw it in his spirit. He had a vision in his spirit, which means that his spirit was awakened. Even though his natural senses could not see anything. And this is the unique thing that I want to share with you right now. When God really gets a hold of you, even though you cannot see naturally how stuff is going to work out, God will reveal it to you in your spirit. What's going to happen to you next? What is his plan for you next? And what he shows you in his in your spirit will keep you until the thing shows up in your face. It'll keep you. It'll keep you. The Bible says that Paul is on a street called straight. That could be another word for truth. <laughs> He's in a street called straight. His address now is straight. His path is no longer crooked. His way of going is no longer crooked. His address now is straight. And he's in the house of a man named Judas, which comes from the derivative or, or uh, is derived from Judah, which means praise. His address is truth and he's in a house of praise. I think that one of the ways that God will give you vision and, and help you in this season is by helping you to realize his truth for your life and putting you in a position of praise. The way that you're going to see your way out of this is through constant praise, through constant prayer. God is teaching us how to be thankful even when stuff looks stupid. He's teaching us how to be thankful even when things don't make sense. He's teaching us how to be thankful even when things aren't coming together the way that they should. You are now in a place called praise and you're seated on a street called straight. You don't have to go into this year with your eyes wide shut. Because you've already made up your mind what you're going to do. God has called you to something else. God has called you to something new. God has called you to something transformative. You have no idea what he's about to do in your life. You have no idea how small you've been thinking. You have no idea how much your dreams can even encompass what God is really doing in your life. You have no idea. It is going to blow your mind, but you've got 
to get to a place where you accept his truth and where you praise him, no matter what the circumstance is. I thank you that it didn't work. I thank you that I did almost lose my mind. I thank you that you kept me. I thank you that you established me. I thank you that you've done all the things I've needed you to do and you will do all those things that I need. You supply all my needs. I thank you. Ananias comes and he lays hands on Paul and scales fall off of Paul's eyes. For the first time, Paul could really see not see the way he's wanted to see all his life. He can now really see. We know this because in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, at one point in time, we knew Christ from a human perspective. Oh, how differently we know him now. I used to know him from a human perspective. I thought he was just a prophet. I thought he was just a regular man. I thought he was a guy that had good principles for life. Oh, how differently I know him now. He is everything. Jesus is everything. To the atheist that will watch this, to the agnostic that will listen to this, Jesus is everything. And he is the one that will help us to see when our eyes are wide shut. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in to this. And I pray that something was said that blesses you and that helps you and that pushes you along your journey. This is the first of many YouTube videos I'm going to be doing and podcasts I'm going to be doing. If you're listening by podcast, what I want you to do is share this with as many people as you can. Leave a review and subscribe. Leave a review and subscribe. Rate this podcast. And if you're watching by video on YouTube, I want you to subscribe. I want you to like, and I want you to turn your notifications on and comment. Tell me what you thought. Tell me your thoughts. Ask me questions. Do all those good things. There is more coming to you. Let's go into this season with our eyes open and seeing what God has always wanted us to see. I love y'all and I'm going to see y'all soon. Until then, preach Christ.